There should be no greater happiness, no greater fulfillment, no greater purpose. That's the biggest question. And we have to answer that question for ourselves before we can answer it for anybody else. And when people ask us questions, you know, you should get yourself a notebook and write down any question, not that you don't know the answer to, but that you're not comfortable answering. Because it could be you got an answer, and uh, it just didn't do it for you. Yeah? Um, I was going to say I'm out of time, but the last time I thought of that phrase, it had very terrible implications. So... Let's just say I should really finish up this talk now. <laughs> I just want to end with one, with one great, great story. And then we'll do a quick review. <laughs> just kidding. Anyway. That's how my friend Pesach Throne always ends this year. You know? I want to end with a great story and a quick review of everything we've said. You know? Um, and uh, Baruch Hashem, I've known him for many years. I learned a lot of things from him. One thing he taught me is never name drop famous people that you know. So. <laughs> he said he heard that from Reverend Frank. So this was <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so the first time I was half invited to speak at the Aguda Convention, there was another time that I was actually invited to speak. You know, and for real. <laughs> and I said to them, you know, aren't you a little nervous to invite me because I have a reputation for being a little controversial? And the person said, yes, we thought about this. <laughs> so you'll be speaking to the women for Shalashudas. <laughs> and uh, you'll do the closing. And uh, we basically only gave you slots where none of the Rashi Yeshiva will be at. <laughs> And I said, I, I was just kidding. I didn't realize it was actually a meeting and be good to how can we invite Orlovsky and minimize the amount of damage that he can do. So. But there was a time before that that somebody really pushed for me to come and they put me on a round table discussion about Kirov Rakhokin, which was not a round table, it was actually a square table. And they had a lot of Balabatim and professionals representing different organizations. The people in the audience were all the top people in the field. And the people on the, the table were mostly you know, professionals who helped the organizations. And each one talked about their organization and why we should support it. You know? And at the end, you know, the person who was chairing it looks at me and says, do you want to say something? And I said, no. Everyone's gone on here for much too long. There's really nothing that anyone's interested in. You know, leave me out. He says, okay. I'd like now to introduce Robert Olavsky to say a few words on this topic. So, okay, you, it's your own fault. You have no one to blame but yourself at this point. Right? So I get up and I say, someone asked me a question. Why are we wasting all this money on Kirovic Hogan? We have so many problems in our own communities. You know how many people can't get their kids into yeshiva? You know, and people are fighting to try to get in. And I know people send their kids to public school. You know, I've met from people who've decided not to have any more children because they can't afford the tuitions. Could you imagine an educational system, a Torah educational system that encourages from Jews not to have children? You realize there's a serious problem here, and we're wasting all our money on Kira. Does this make any sense? So maybe we should be asking ourselves why we have to get involved in Kira for Hogan. Maybe the answer is because we're in trouble. And I started to talk about all the problems in the front community. <laughs> well, the room exploded. Because everyone in the audience were all top people in Kirov. 
and everybody made different points, etc., etc. You know, and uh, I, I agree with Rabbi Olasky. Rabbi Olasky is not, you know, and you could see the whole panel had just completely lost control of the event. It was a, I wasn't called uh, for many years after that. But... <laughs> For obvious reasons, I think the finish was they called me that first time. But anyway, and I remember Jonathan Rosenblum, who was in the audience, uh, stood up and he said, "Have you ever asked yourself why most of the books on Hashkafa are written by people who did not grow up in the from world and going to yeshivas?" He mentioned specifically Rabbi Katz, although he didn't name all of his books, like uh, you know the Jew, Judaism, Buddhism, and uh, you know a number of other ones which will be available for sale, and uh, which I can highly recommend. Because you walk into any yeshiva seminary, who's not reading World Mask or, or or one of the other you know amazing books that Rabbi Katz wrote? I think he was nice enough to sit here and listen to me. He deserves at least that much. But, 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 the, but that's exactly what John Lewis says. Everyone wonder why most of the books on Hashkafa are written by people like, you know, like every doctor, King Tats, you know, things like that, you know, people coming from him. It says, because we went to school and we asked a question in third grade and we got an answer in third grade and we were happy with that for the rest of our lives. And people who came in after university education asked the same questions on a university level and demanded a university level answer. And they weren't content with just because that's the way that it goes. You know? It's not enough for us just to be able to feel like, well, oh, I don't know, that's what I always heard. Can you answer this if somebody pushes you on this and gives you, can you answer this question? Can you, can you give the answer correctly? And if you can't, then forget about answering it for anybody else, but to answer it for ourselves. And once we can answer it for ourselves, most of the time we don't even have to answer the question. I've had students of mine who said, Rabbi, I can say over your answer, but I can't do that little laugh that you do at the end. And that's really what answers the question. Because when people realize you're not bothered by this question at all, it really shakes them up. They, they, they start to realize that, wow, this guy seems like he's intelligent and he seems like he's having a good time and this question seems to him not to be so much of a question. And those 5-10% who are really intellectuals, you know, and, and that Ergali was speaking about, will take it further and everything that I say has to be taken further. But we live in the era of the soundbite. And that's, that's how people make decisions, unfortunately. You know? Uh, email was too big for people. They had to come up with Twitter. Because whatever you have to say, you have to say in 128 characters. You know? So we don't have time for punctuation and grammar and syntax and, and facts. We, we, just, we just Twitter something. You know, just shoot it out. You know? And that's how points come across and that's how we communicate. And we want to try to explain something at a very deep level. You know? As Maisha Shapiro said, not to me, but about me. <laughs> that's not an answer. I said, that's true. But the point is to be able to clear the way of Mahmoud Harsinai so someone can deal with the real issue. How can I live a happy, meaningful life? What does Judaism have to say to me that's going to make my life a better life? And that's the answer that we need to be able to find for them. Thank you very much.